Well, today we're picking up in the book of Hebrews. We're finishing up chapter 12. And to understand where we're at, it's really the summary of where we've been. The whole idea the writer of Hebrews is describing how do we build our identity on what Christ did for us, not what we do for him. How do we build our identity on knowing that what he did was sufficient? Not think that Jesus plus what we do, going back to sacrifices, going back to good works, finding our identity based on something we do is going to somehow add to how we see life or how we see ourselves. So Drew did a masterful job last week of kind of summarizing the passage just before this. Quick reminder, pursue peace with all people. Like, man, I had such good intentions of doing that, but then I had Thanksgiving dinner with my family. And man, I did not pursue peace because they brought up such and such topic and they're so wrong about that. Oh, and I got crushed under the weight of not following the law. Pursue holiness, without which no one will see the Lord and look carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Not live out and live, live out as if you knew the grace of God was operating in you. When you don't do that, bitterness begins to spring up in you and causes trouble. You get bitter at God because it's not thank you for what you've done. It's you owe me for what I've done. You get mad at other people. You're bitter at them because they're not treating you the way you deserve to be treated. So bitterness springs up. And many become defiled. And the reason they become defiled is because they haven't learned how to value grace. Appraising grace. How sweet the sound. Can you appraise grace for its value? Because his idea, he brings up Esau. He says, Esau is the guy who did not appraise the value of something. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. He traded something that should have been appraised as, as incredibly valuable for a thing of food, something not so much. For you know that afterwards, he went, oh, I shouldn't have done that. When he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. He found no place for repentance though he sought it diligently with tears. The idea here is, have you appraised how valuable what you have in Christ is? Or do you keep trading that for the law? Keep trading that for good works? Do you see yourself the way God sees you? Or do you want to see yourself based on your good self-image, your self-worth, the money in your bank account? All these things are nice things, but they're not valuable for building an identity on. So don't go back to Judaism. Appraise grace for what it's worth. And in this passage today, he's going to give us two mountains you can build your identity on. Two ways you can see God, two ways you can see life. And here's his choices, he's going to say. One mountain is the mountain you fall on. You fall on this mountain. God, I don't deserve anything. I don't demand anything. I just come to you in grace and mercy. And I fall before you humbly. So you can either fall on the mountain or you can have the mountain fall on you. You can be humble or be humbled. Either way, you're going to end up humble. When you fall on the grace of God and you begin to see life through his grace, it's in your humility, it's in your surrender that you find that he lifts you up. And all of a sudden, you're secure resting on his grace. And now you're living from the summit. But you're not proud of what comes out of you. Because whatever comes out of you comes from him. You see joy, wow, where'd that come from? The Holy Spirit. You see peace, wow, where'd that come from? And you live like an echo. We say, I am gracious. 
to others because he was gracious to me. I'm going to be patient with you even though you don't deserve it. Because God was patient with me because I didn't deserve it. I'm going to be kind. Kind, kind, kind. Because, oh my goodness, God has been so kind to me. When you build your identity, when you see life and see God from the summit of falling on the mountain and letting him elevate you, it transforms the whole way you live, the whole way you forgive. And maybe you look many nervous right now, so I'm going to get down. Don't worry about me. Worry about my pants when I get down. The other option is that you come to God and view life through a different lens. God, you owe me. I'm a good person. I obeyed the Ten Commandments. I've done the right thing. You should give me what I deserve. You didn't give me what I deserve. You owe me. I demand. I, I, I deserve. I'm entitled to. And eventually God says, all right, you want what you deserve? You want what, what you're owed? Yes! God reaches over and hands you what you're owed. And like, oh! And the mountain falls on you. And you're like, I don't think I want all that I deserve. Oh, and you try to squiggle out of it, right? And, and what the writer is going to tell us with this mountain metaphor today is when you begin to observe yourself and God, you get very bitter because you're not getting what you deserve because you worked so hard, you obeyed the law, and the mountain's going to fall on you. It's going to shatter whatever you built your identity on. Whatever you thought was worthy of your identity is going to be crushed under the weight of the law you thought you were keeping. So he, he hints at this before we look at the two mountains. He hints at it in verse 28 and 29. He says, guys, over here, therefore, you have received a kingdom. You didn't earn it. You received it. And that kingdom is so powerful, it cannot be shaken. Everything over here can be shaken. So let's have grace toward others because the kingdom we've received by grace. Let's serve God acceptably with reverence and fear. God consumed all of our bad works and he consumed all of our good works that weren't all that good anyway. So you build your life on that, and you live with peace and confidence. But he starts with the bad mountain. Here's how he begins. There is a shakable mountain that can fall upon us when you build your life on the law. And God's presence will shatter how you come to him and how you see him if you come based on what you do for him. It'll shatter you. And it needs to shatter you to humble you. Verse 18 and 22 summarizes these two mountains. Then we'll dig into the first. You have not come, says whole point, Christians, you have not come to this mountain. We don't build our basis of God based on this mountain. You have not come to the mountain that could not be touched. Moses' mountain. But then later he says, but you have come to this mountain, Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. That's how you live life. But you guys have chosen to build your life on a very shakable mountain that falls on us. For if you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and it burned with fire. Guys, you're not to build your relationship based on this mountain. The mountain that may not be touched, that was burned with fire, blackness and darkness and tempest, the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words. Like, What is he talking about? He's talking about the description from Exodus 19 of when God brought the law to Moses. These are the exact words used. Fire and tempest and darkness and sound. And when God came down before the people and gave them the law and taught them they're supposed to obey the law, they immediately broke the law. And when God says he wanted to speak to them, those who heard God speaking to them 
begged that the word should be spoken to them, not be spoken to them anymore. No, we're not worthy of your presence. No, don't give us what we deserve. No, we can't keep the law. Guys, he's saying, you're going back to the law. And the very people who got the law are like, please, this isn't working out. Why would you go back to building your identity on the very thing that the people who got the law couldn't accomplish? They begged God, please. It filled them with fear and turmoil. So if you want to go back and study Exodus 19, you'll see all those words are mentioned there in the giving of the law. And when you come to God based on the law, you'll feel proud a few moments because you prayed really hard and you obeyed really well. And then the next day and the next hour, you'll find out you didn't obey the very law you thought you were. And you'll be crushed and shattered under the weight of it. You'll be filled with fear that you didn't do enough. Fear of who you are if you're no longer a good moral person. A fear of who you are if your identity, which is based on some keeping of the law, is no longer secure. It's not a way to live your life. And when you live your life on the basis of the law, it's not just something you do. It defines who you are, and that's the problem. That's why you're mad at God, because he's not giving you what you deserve. And who are you if you no longer have whatever it was you built your identity on? I heard a colleague talking about the pressure at Harvard. One of the faculty there was describing the pressure on both the faculty and the students because every student who got in were straight-A students. Always got straight A's. Never seen a B. Can't imagine seeing a C. But now they're competing with fellow classmates who've only got A's. And somebody's going to have to get a B. He said the professors will feel so much pressure because when a student who's got A's their whole life suddenly gets a B for the first time, they are shattered by it. They've always seen themselves as the smartest and the best and the straight. Who am I if I'm not getting straight A's? Where do I find my worth and value if that's not true? So the pressure on the professors to give all A's and the pressure back to the students because these students are just spiraling out of control. Why? Because they're building their identity on something that can't even come close to defining the entirety of who they are. As long as they got all A's, they were fine. But man, first B and they get shattered. When you build your identity on the law in some way, that's what happens. That's why he goes on to say, if you come to God based on the law, you can't endure. They, the very people who got the law, couldn't endure what was commanded. Even a beast touched that mountain. You had to kill the, the mountain or, or get shot with an arrow. You kill that thing. You got too close to God's presence. And it was so terrifying to find out what you deserved and what you're owed that even Moses, Moses, the most humble man on earth, the guy who wrote the first five books of the Bible, that, that guy, he's in, right? He's got to feel like, wow, God, let me tell you, I wrote five books of the Bible. I'm the most humble man on earth. I read the book and I mentioned it about myself. Which is interesting. Well, that's a book of Numbers. We'll get to that next. He says, even Moses was terrified at that mountain. And he said, I, Moses, am exceedingly afraid and trembling. Hmm. You cannot come to God and life through the lens of your works. You'll just be shattered by it. He says, now, if you think you can, go ahead and try it. Just try it. You'll eventually be shattered 
And one day you're like, I'm a good person because I've got obedient kids. And then suddenly the fear and trembling of they go through a season where they're no longer obedient. And if they're not obedient, that means you're not that great of a mom or that great of a dad. And all of a sudden the thing that exalted you has got you knocking your knees in fear and trembling. You obey the law. I'm not a person who would ever struggle with such and such sin. And then a few years later, under enough pressure, enough circumstances, oh no, I'm giving in to the very thing I used to judge. You'll be shattered when you build your identity on this stuff. And so I'd encourage you, if you're still building your identity in something besides the grace of God, it's time to let the grace of God shatter those things. Let that mountain fall on you. Let's get it over with. Let's God shatter the way you see yourself and see life. Let's see how shakable and how unsturdy it really is. And when you see it shaken and unsturdy, you long for something more. I was uh, last spring down visiting with some friends in Naples. And one of the guys I was describing, I was asking him, tell me about your Christian life and kind of the years of walking with God, what you've learned. He talked about his business career and working with Jack Welsh and what that was like in his company and the ups and the downs and the challenges. Is, you know, as I've gotten older, he goes, the thing that strikes me now as I think about all the things God's done is I'm at a stage in my life now where, well, I can't see and I can't hear, but thank God I can drive. (laughs) We all burst out laughing. I think that's a lot of us do. We, We think we can't really see the grace of God the way we once did. We're not hearing it as the operation of our daily life. And we think we can drive this Christian life without living in the grace of God. Dietrich Bonhoeffer described when he left Berlin, he came to New York City for several years. He said he could not find any church in New York preaching the gospel. A lot of people teaching the Bible, but the, the message was always about what you need to do more of, not what God did for you and why your obedience is an expression of meditating on the grace of God. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was so frustrated in New York that he could not find any biblical gospel-centered preaching. He said the only place he found it was actually in the African-American churches. He said they were just so fiery and powerful in preaching the grace of God and the gospel of God. And so he is a, a Lutheran, stumbles into the black church. He falls in love with the preaching and the word. He just finished his doctorate in why the gospel brings Greek and Jew, male and female, rich and poor together. Why the gospel is a great unifier across economics and across racial lines. And now he's experiencing the beauty of a multicultural church. He grew up as a Lutheran, because he's from Germany, singing kind of boring Lutheran hymns. He's never experienced black gospel music, and he's like, whoa. He has fallen in love with it. He's never seen people just express such joy in the grace of God. All of that sets the stage for him heading back to Germany, just as Hitler is actually on his rise, trying to build a case for the government being a Fuhrer and for the Jews not being part of God's community, even quoting Martin Luther himself to, to support this racism. Hitler used Martin Luther's words. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer rails against Hitler, even tries to assassinate him several times after it gets so bad because he saw an entire worldview built on works and pushing you're acceptable and you're not acceptable versus the grace that brings all people together. So, what does it mean to build your identity on the law? Versus grace. He, he comes to another mountain. He says, guys, this unshakable mountain, I want to tell you, that's not the mountain you want to build your life on. This mountain 
is the one we fall upon. We see God through it, thank you. We see life through it. I am who he says me, I am. I am as valuable as he says I am, not what I do or don't do. This unshakable mountain, we fall upon it and it elevates us. God's presence here, it, it, it will secure how you see him and how you see your life. He says, you have not come to the mountain that may not be touched, but you have come to the mountain Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. And this is secure. This is a place you can build your whole identity on. This is a place that you can live from. This is a place that gives you real confidence. You don't need a good self-concept. You need a good God concept. This is how to live a healthy, productive, confident life. Because it's based on something secure. It doesn't change the work of Christ. So what are some of those shakable things that you need to maybe let God shake up until you move over to something unshakable? For some of us, we build our identity on our, our title. I am a CEO. I am a CFO or I'm a COO. But someday you'll retire. And someday someone will be better at that job than you are. As shocking as that idea is. Someday you won't have that title because you'll lose that job. And, and if that's how you built your identity, it will shake you to your core and you'll wonder who you are. Instead, it's just a nice part of you, but it's not what defines you. I'm a good mom, a good dad, or a good son until the moment the mom and dad are disappointed in you. And they don't like what you're doing. You can't live up to their unrealistic standards anymore. And suddenly your kids don't think you're the greatest mom and dad because, you know, they just turned four. And you're no longer their idol. And you wonder who you are because you built your identity on something shakable. I am the smartest. I invented a such and such. I'm at the top of my field. I look like a supermodel. I married a supermodel. I'm a good moral person. These are all good things. But as I said a few weeks ago, I'm getting uglier and uglier every year. Losing hair here, gaining hair here. It's just very annoying. So what he's offering to us is a way to see life and build your identity on something that lasts. And when it's shaken, it doesn't change. We had a, a family gathering several years ago, a couple decades ago, where I, I met one of Beth's side of the family. And when I had heard about him, everybody in the family said, oh, wait till you meet cousin so-and-so. And the next line out of all of their mouths was, he got a 36 on his ACT. I thought, well, well maybe he's, you know, a high school student, that's great. He's like in his mid-20s. And like everybody introduced him as the guy who got a 36 on his ACT. And I was feeling pretty good about my 28, but not anymore. Now I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm at a 28. I, got, I found out when my daughter got diagnosed with dyslexia. I got a little bit of dyslexia, so my verbal skills have always been bad. Good thing I went into speaking for a living. <laughs> so I go to meet him. And, hey, I'm Chad, nice to meet you. And he says, hey, I'm so-and-so and uh, blah, blah, blah. And did you know I got a 36 on my ACT? I did, actually. News gets around. Well, I love playing games. So a bit later on in the evening, we start playing some Scrabble. And again, uh, the thing about playing Scrabble is it's not about the words you have. It's about the letters you're given. And it's about how well you can use the double word score or the double uh, letter score. And I'm pretty darn good at that. So we're playing for a while. And as the game continues, there's some real momentum coming in my direction. And we get to the end of the game. And <laughs> he is so mad because I have creamed him. And he said, oh, I can't believe it. I mean, he just got stormed off. Oh, my goodness. What's wrong with that guy? So Mr. 36 is all mad now. <laughs> and it dawns on me. I can now say, 
Then I beat a guy at Scramble who got a 36 on his ATT. <laughs> yeah. All right? And so now the thing I build my identity on, games and competition and strategy, everyone else's idol looks silly, but not yours. And it may not be as blatant as those two stories I just told, but what he's saying is we all have one. I want you to build your identity on something unshakable. He says, you have not come to that mountain. You've come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God. You have a, the living God loves you and values you. You've come to a heavenly Jerusalem. You don't find your identity in stuff that happens here, but up there, to an innumerable company, a community of angels or messengers from God, to the general assembly and church of, of theater, the firstborn. Did you know that God sees you as a firstborn? And if you're a firstborn, you're like, man, that's pretty good. I'm a firstborn. If you're a secondborn, thirdborn, you're like, well, it can't be a secondborn. The idea of the firstborn is that the firstborn got a double inheritance because their job was to be almost like the executor of the will. You were to take all the resources of mom and dad and make sure everyone was provided for for the next generations. God sings about you. God values you. God sees every one of us as a firstborn child and daughter. You are treasured in his eyes. This isn't about what birth order you had. This is how you are esteemed by the, by the living God. You are registered in heaven. Did you know that? Because what Jesus did? To God who judges all things. He knows all things. All the secrets you have. All the things you're hiding over there. Because you want people to find out what you really do. Because you're building your identity. In fact, you don't do them. Now, you can bring out your dirty laundry. You can bring out all the bad things you've done. Because whatever you find out, you've already been forgiven of. And you can finally deal with it. You're not hiding it to pretend you're better than you are. You're like, yep, I struggle with that. And thank goodness God forgave me. And now that I don't have the shame associated with it, maybe I can start seeing God work in and through that. And you're able to finally deal with your junk because you're building your identity on the grace of God. This God who's judge of all, to the spirits of just men, he makes you perfect. Perfect. Over there. Is anything over there ever going to make you perfect? Have you ever kept the law? You ever kept your sense of right and wrong? Have you ever been as generous to others as you've been as generous to other people, even for one day, for one hour? I haven't. None of that makes you perfect. But Jesus made you perfect. And that is why he says, this is how to build your identity. This is how to see life and how to see God. I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm a part of an eternal community. I'm going to dwell forever in a heavenly place. I'm a firstborn, and the judge of the universe has declared me acceptable. Wow. Now that's a way to build your life. Is it, you know how we got that? Summarize the first 10 chapters of Hebrews. Because of Jesus, the mediator. Because Jesus bridged the gap between humans and God. And because he gave us a new covenant, not the old, if you do it right, then God will do something. The, even if you don't do it right, God did something. If you receive the gift, that's the new covenant. To the blood of sprinkling, that's a washing metaphor from the Old Testament. And he, God, speaks better things than even of Abel. You are acceptable. You are a child. You are welcome. He pulls the angel aside. Let me tell you how much I love that guy and love that girl. 
See that you do not refuse him who speaks. And so now your obedience, this isn't a, a license to go and live whatever you want. You're like, if God did this for me, if he gave me what I could never deserve, if I fall on his grace, then you don't want to refuse him. How, how can I obey? How can I live? What does my life need to be oriented toward? Because I couldn't earn any of that. And because you've given all of it to me, how can I live in light of what you've done? This is what motivates obedience and motivates transformation and motivates you to deal with your dirty laundry and your mistakes. Jesus, the mediator. And the thing is, Jesus, what he's done is so powerful that when he was shaken, you know what came out of him? Eternity. You ever seen people at the uh, grocery store, they walk by and they're always shaking stuff? It's kind of weird. thing. shaking a cantaloupe or they're shaking a watermelon. You're like, that's not going to work out real well. Watermelon. Shaking, shaking the stuff. Like, what are they doing? They're shaking to see if it's ripe in there. In one sense, God will shake you to see if there's any eternity in there. And you can build your identity and all kinds of things aren't eternal. God will shake you up. How's that working out for you? Oh my goodness, that didn't work out real well. But Jesus is on the cross and he gets shaken. They pound nails into his hands and feet, yeah. They push a crown of thorns on his head, yeah. All of his friends abandon him, yeah. And while he is there on the cross, even God himself turns his back on him. I mean, that's shaking. That's a shaking you and I have never felt. So much so that Jesus will cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then it says that darkness covered the land and there was an earthquake. What are those words? Those are Mount Sinai words. The shaking of darkness, the shaking of the tempest, the shaking of the earthquake is what was happening to Jesus on the cross. Only when he was shaken in his final hour, in his worst moment, you know what came out of him? Eternity. These attributes that you and I, we can maybe sustain for a minute in a particular day or hour. What came out of him are things like, Father, forgive them. He loved his enemies. For they know not what they do. Mercy, patience, and kindness. When Jesus got shaken, we found that all that was in him was eternity. And I want to build my identity on someone who when you shake them up, all that comes out is all the good things I can't perform consistently in my life. And that's how I'm accepted before God. Which is why he goes on to say, that's why you listen. That's why you obey. That's why you respond. For if they, the people who got the law, did not escape the consequences when they refused him who spoke on earth, there were consequences, not obeying. How much more will we escape consequences if we turn away from someone who gave us all that, someone who spoke directly from heaven, whose voice then once shook the earth? And now he promised, he said something, he's quoting the Old Testament. He said, yet once more I will shake not only the earth but also heaven. So he goes on to say, let me tell you what he meant by that. Now this yet once more comment indicated the removal of these things that are being shaken as of the things that are being made. And that's kind of a long-winded way of saying this. God said, as of once more, I once was working in the law way. You do your part and I'll do my part. <laughs> but you guys never did your part. So I did away with that. I shook that and it turned out it didn't work. So I replaced it with something new. So that's what he's saying. Yet once more indicates the removal of the old way, the law shaking way, of the things that are made. The things which cannot be shaken may remain. I want you to know you can see life and see yourself through the lens 
of things that cannot be shaken. So I talked to a friend recently, Christian. He said, I'm really struggling with my faith. So well, tell me about that. She began to describe just these terrible circumstances she was in. And we listened. We just kind of sat in the puddle a little bit together. She said, I think I'm, I'm losing my faith because I always believed if I was a good person, and if God was a good God, I should get good circumstances. And I am a good person. I'm doing the right thing. And I'm not getting good circumstances. Therefore, is God really good? I said, well, have you ever thought that maybe that's a belief you need to give up on? What do you mean? I said, the idea that good people, if there's a good God, get good circumstances, that's a pretty strong belief system. I said, when I read the Bible, or I read what Jesus says, I see that the one good person who ever lived who talked about his good God all the time and got really horrible circumstances. So if the good God got bad circumstances, why would you think that you don't deserve bad circumstances occasionally, living in a broken world? I said, maybe that's an adolescent belief system that doesn't correspond to your adult circumstances. Maybe it's time to retire that old belief. I did my part and God owes me his, this part. And instead say, God, I just fall on your mercy. You know what? The one perfect person who ever lived got tortured and killed and abandoned and yet and yet God worked through that circumstance to bring incredible purpose and meaning and transform the world turn the Roman Empire upside down maybe the new belief system is God I don't like my current circumstances I trust your good and I trust that you as a good God will work through my circumstances she called me a little bit later she said that idea has just transformed me I felt guilty about giving up my faith I'm just giving up a particular belief system that doesn't serve me well I said and by the way it's not in the Bible anyway is it time to retire coming to God based on what you do for him and instead to come to him based on what he did for you that's his idea that's how we live life from the summit my life becomes an echo I return to others what I have received from him. I live from the summit. Remember what he said? Therefore, main point, conclusion to all this, since you have received a gift from God, and it can't be shaken, you got the one unshakable thing, let us have grace. Grace which means to afford joy and pleasure and delight and sweetness and charm and loveliness and grace of speech and thankfulness. Let's live gracefully. Let's live out this thing by which we can serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For God's a consuming fire. He burned up all the, the bad deeds that, that we don't want the consequences of. He burned up all our good deeds that made us so incredibly self-righteous and proud. And now I live life from the summit. Don't get nervous. I'm getting up here again. And we're on this place of security, Right? It's not wobbly anymore. And now we live like an echo from the summit. Or we do say, I'm going to be forgiving. Forgiving, forgiving, forgiving. I'm an echo. And you know why I can forgive? In-laws or exes or rebellious kids or annoying in-laws. It's not because they deserve it. It's not because I'm a good person. I'm an echo. I'm going to forgive forgive, because he forgave. And I'm going to give, give, give. Because, oh, my goodness, has my God, my dad been so generous to me. The God who owns a thousand cattle on a thousand hills and put the universe together has made me a co-heir with Christ. 
in light of that, how could I not give? I'm going to be patient. Patient. People do not deserve my patience because they're so incompetent. Because God was so patient with me when I was so rebellious and such a traitor and so hard to work with. I was so stubborn. I live life like an echo, passing on what I've received. If you want to know how to grow as a Christian, you need to work harder. You need to look up. See what he's given you. Receive the kingdom. Envelop the grace of God. Build your identity on the security of God. Allow this to be the place at which you find yourself. And then from that place, that secure place, you say, I'm living like an echo of that place. Maybe you want to do that. Maybe this year, maybe this week, it's about giving some grace to your marriage. Because right now, you know why your marriage is in so much trouble? You guys are only giving each other what you deserve. That's a great way to get divorced, by the way. Just give your spouse what they deserve. You want to destroy a family? Only give each other what you're owed. That's a race to the bottom. You want to destroy a workplace? Only forgive people who deserve to be forgiven. Only be kind to people who deserve kindness. That's not how you build companies. That's not how you build marriages. That's not how you build life. You build it from something secure. Because I'm going to love and I'm going to give and I'm going to forgive. Because somebody did it for me. And maybe part of that expression of being an echo is to join us as a church. As you come in today, you saw our giving tree. And maybe you've seen the last couple weeks the way in which we've been giving to City Gospel and gifts to those at Happy Church and gifts to the City Gospel and uh, Interparish Ministries. You've been bringing in those bags. We saw lots of you bring bags in. My family grabbed our, our gift tag this last week. It's a way of which we can say, how can I be an echo of God's generosity? When I was spiritually poor he who is rich became poor that through his poverty i could be made rich in christ i want to be an echo of his generosity to my community these next couple weeks the gifts that are on that tree are going to our partners with the national international ministries with belize partners and with with back to back so maybe that's the way you want to give maybe it's about inviting other people we have uh, nine christmas eve services coming up and maybe you've never been in a church where you really got to learn about the grace of God. You've heard about a lot of things you should be doing, but not the grace of God. And maybe you want to invite somebody else to, ex- somebody else to experience this message that's not like typical religion you've heard before. Tickets go on, uh, on sale. They're free. Tickets become available on December 1st. We have three on, on Thursday, Christmas Eve Eve, and six on Christmas Eve itself. Maybe you want to serve. We, we need people to greet and to make people feel welcome when people are coming in the door with their, their relatives that, that have never been in our church before and they're looking for an excuse. These church people aren't very nice. Oh, they said hi to me. Oh, my goodness. They actually are nice. The, uh, the series or the service this year is called Christmas Wonder. It's about the wonder of Christmas and being astonished by the idea that God would come and dwell among us. Maybe you're being an echo means inviting someone or serving someone. Maybe as we approach the Christmas season, you're thinking about your financial giving. You're like, you know what? I want to give a, a part of my giving portfolio to be part of giving to what Horizon does to, to make the grace of God become known to people here, near, and far. But I want to encourage you to live from the summit and live like an echo, looking at what you've received and passing it on to those around you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this book. We thank you for this challenge. We thank you for the depth of it. 
Father, we thank you also for the simplicity of it. God, that you love us enough to die for us. God, we want all the stuff that came out of you at the cross in our hearts, in our relationships, in our marriages, in our families, in our divisions. Teach us, Father, how to live like an echo to draw other people to you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll see you all next week.